We are doing a series talking about our vision statements, right? Who we are as a church, beginning of the year, makes sense. If you got a bulletin, which I hope you did, if you flip through there, raise up the part on the back where it says, we see a church that dot, 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 and it lists about eight or nine different things. Does everybody have one of those? How do the Shreks make it in without a bulletin? (laughs) It's complicated. Chris is like, I'm not unfolding my arms to find the bulletin. You see those, so we've been working through those, and we're almost done, and if you ever get the privilege of being present for when we finish a series at ANC, we only do that every 25 years. So you would know, if you hung out with us through the book of Matthew, that it only took us, you know, our kids weren't born when we started that, but we're about to wrap this series next week, because Lent is coming, Lent begins on the 5th of March, and that's the traditional time in the church calendar where the church focuses on training all of our sites on Easter, right? And so it's going to be about about what can we take off our plate and what can we add that will, that will increase that sense of expectation moving towards Easter. But we've got one week left, and that's next week. So we're in the second to last piece of that. Let me read what that statement is, and we'll dig in. And today is one of those Sundays where I've got about as many things I'd like to say that are not on the notes as things that are on the notes, and so this is going to be a little crash course. We're going to figure this out, but we may just chuck the notes. Here's how it reads. We see a church that values each individual's personal gifts and abilities. We believe that each person in the body of Christ should discover and use their gifts to God's glory in serving others. So my little caption there, the way to kind of put that in two words, is I would say, we see a church that empowers people, okay? And you'll see where I grab that word from in a few minutes. There's a couple things buried here, and if you read into these things, it's fascinating how things written eight years ago can still breathe life today. But if you, if you dig in here, there's a couple things buried. Number one, when we're talking about the church that we see, it's built on what you as individuals bring. And there's a fundamental difference between that kind of church and the kind of church that's envisioned where the leadership gives birth and all you do is kind of come and be part of that. We see a church that involves what you do well. Does that make sense? That may not sound terribly innovative, but trust me, that's, that's different. So we see a church that's built on what individuals bring to the game, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, what you can do. Notice, we don't just see a church that has a staff that's empowered. We don't just see a church that's got, you know, a vision that the power of the Holy Spirit is behind. We see an empowered community of individuals, and that's what we're trying to actively build towards. And that involves each of you. If you look closely at this vision statement, it implies process. Did you notice those two words, discover and use? You know, it's, it's, it, we're not just born knowing exactly where we fit, right? So it implies process. There's a discovery involved in finding those abilities and those gifts that you have. And when this happens, the statement will go on to say, when individuals find their unique God-given contribution to the whole, God is glorified. When you discover you, God is glorified. Because all of this means what? Greater service to others. You see that in that statement? You see that there? So that's my sermon for today. That's a wrap, right? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to add my two minutes to your 38 Whopper last week. We're going to divide 40 by two, and we've had two 20-minute sermons, right? How's that? Because Trey preached a 30. I hear about it every week, and he laid down a 38-minute sermon last week. I just have to pick on you, buddy. Thanks. You're welcome. I'm actually not done. i got a few things to say here. Let's read from the book of Acts, chapter 1. These are Jesus' last statements, his last instructions to the followers who were standing there watching him go poof up up into the clouds. Anytime there's last words, the last words matter, okay, so weigh them differently. Let me just read, follow along. Then they gathered around him and asked him, who's they? Well, the disciples, right, the people who were, who were witnessing this. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. That's that word power, that empowerment. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, basically he went poof, right? He was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their, from his sight, from their sight. So this is the final death of the earthly ambition of those men and women who followed Jesus closely. This is the dying gasp of their agenda. What's their question? What are you going to do what we've been expecting you to do? And his answer was, I'm going to give you power to be witnesses. Don't you love those answers that don't go with the question? Right? Like on a multiple choice, you left over with, huh? That doesn't go with that. They say, when are you going to make it happen? When does the hammer drop? Jesus says, I'm giving you power to be witnesses. Not only to be witnesses, but to be witnesses to your immediate neighborhood and the concentric circle that goes around that. And then that city, regional, global, it all works its way out from there. Not the right answer they were looking for. Important words. So what does it mean when we say the empowerment, that we see a church that empowers every believer? Well, there's a couple things. I'm going to try to blow through these quick. Because there's actually a story I want to tell now that Johnny's here. Don't know how to tell it without you, Johnny. Number one, let's talk about how we're empowered as believers. Number one, let's start at the very high elevation. There's a general sense in which we are empowered as believers. It's a general thing that we all share, okay? If we took today's conversation all the way up to 38,000 feet, the purpose of the empowerment of the believer is very simple. It's to be a witness. To be a witness, okay? You see that? Even when discussing our purpose as a people, the lost are in view. Do you see that? Even when defining the very definition of who we are and what our purpose for being in here, there's always reference to the lost. We are empowered to be witnesses because people need to know, right? Simply put, we are who we are because of them. I can't say it any simpler than this. No world, no church. No need. You get it? Notice the concentric circles of influence around begins in Jerusalem. That doesn't mean much to us. So let's just say Austin, Texas, the U.S. and the world, so that you understand that there's no place that that stops. Did you know, I'm just going to say this, we can edit this later. Actually, we can't, I'm going to say it anyway. There's no nationalism in the gospel, zero zilch, nada. There's no country first. Jesus blows it all up. He takes that circle, one, one or two beyond where we're all comfortable. We might go with, okay, Jesus is going to save Austin in Texas, but Oklahoma, seriously? Right? <laughs> or your sensitivity might be, no, no, it's all about America, yeah, guess what? Jesus is doing something in us, empowering us to be witnesses for whom? For the entire world. No one is out. Nothing is off limits. Let me pause here and say this real briefly. Why do I begin a conversation about your empowerment as an individual by talking about our empowerment as a community? Why do we start there? Here's why. In my experience, when we lose sight of the end point or the purpose, right, or the goal of this empowerment, what happens is we create these obnoxious little categories of hierarchies of who's important because who has what gift. Hear me clearly, church. The spiritual gifts without the context of the unlooking world does nothing except give us permission to hive off and say, well, I'm an apostle. Oh, yeah, well, well I'm this. Oh, yeah, well, I'm that. Some of us wonder why, there aren't, why, the, why the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't pour himself out in our community like we read about in history because most of us are doing community outside of the earshot and the eyeshot of the onlooking world. There's your problem. All of this stuff is designed to be done in the context of people who need to know that God still cares. That's where gifting comes into play. It's empowerment to be witnesses. That's why we start 
Any conversation about how you are gifted as an individual begins with your role in the community. Why? Because the end point has to be maintained in mind. Does that make sense? Please tell me I'm not yelling at you today. I have a head cold. I've been fighting this congestion. Anybody else fighting the congestion? Austin is perfect except for the allergies. Ohio, sorry. Winter does good things to allergies. Down here, we're all suffering for it all the year, all throughout the year. So in my experience, when we lose sight of that, what happens is, is we, we create structures of importance and we categorize ourselves by gifts. Have you ever hung out at a pastor's conference? You've never seen people trying harder to wow a crowd than when you get a thousand pastors in one room. It's my least favorite place to be. It's the truth. Paul knew all about this. He knew all about what happens to communities when they lose sight of the onlooking world. In fact, many of the words that he writes to the, book of, to the church at Corinth have everything to do with this. Let me read a few of these, and these will be familiar because we've talked about these recently, but, but, but I'm getting to a point here. There's a different, there, there are different kinds of gifts, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, but the same Spirit distributes them, right? There's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There's different kinds of working, but all of them and everyone is at the same, is, is the same God at work. Now, each of you has a manifestation of the Spirit given for the common good, all his language. You get what he, where he's going. He talks about wisdom. He talks about knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, the gifts of tongues, and then naturally the gifts of the interpretation of tongues. He talks about all of these different things, right? And it's not as if this is the exhaustive list on what God has given humanity. But Paul is writing to a church who forgot that it's one Spirit that gives all of these, and so he's reminding them. So all of these things were given by one Spirit for one goal, And then he goes into his mantra about the unity of the body. Verse 12, he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of the parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And he talks about the toes and the hands and the eyes, and nobody gets the right to say, well, you're not part of us because you're a hand and I'm a foot, and you get all of that. Then he says, he writes to the church at Corinth, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then miracle workers, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of tongues, of faith, of all of these things. And these are all the things that Christians, the moment, the moment you get out of earshot of the world who's dying and needs Jesus, we start to stand up in structure and we salute the apostles and, you know, teachers are somewhat less than that and the prophets, oh, everybody listens and we do all of this weird stuff. And as if Paul knew exactly what we were gonna struggle with, he goes on in, for, in chapter 13 and he says this. But if I speak, now listen, with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I am absolutely nothing but a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. I added two words there. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, he's going back to the list he just said. In other words, if I lock it all up in spades, if I've got all of that plus more, but I lack what one thing, church? What's the one thing he's gonna say matters more than all of that combined? What's that one thing? Love. You know how that text goes. He says, desire the greatest of all things, which is love. Here's the thing. Love reigns supreme in the community that God is building. How does that, what does that mean? Love is not love outside of the presence of the unlovable and the unlovely. And Paul is gonna say, you can want all of it, you can have all of it, and none of it matters at all if you can't lay down your life for the ones who are unlovely and won't love you back. To be empowered generally speaking, as a body, is to live in an open posture of love towards the world. And guess what, church? You don't get to pick who. You see Paul's logic? What am I suggesting? Listen, if we obsess over who has what gift, who can preach, who can prophesy, who can plant churches, 
in my experience, the church planters are the elite of the elite. Because everybody knows it's one thing to step in and keep a church going, but those people who carve it out of nothing, those are the big dogs. But here's the deal. If we obsess over who has what, and we structure ourselves that way, and we forget that the point of empowerment is to be a witness because the world needs to know, then it all goes sideways. The key here isn't the gift you have. The key is that you function as part of a body. Not autonomously, not standing alone, but you function as part of a body. Every part playing a unique role. So we are generally empowered in those kinds of ways to be a witness to the world. But that's not all there is. You are actually also individually and specifically gifted and empowered. Did you know that? Everyone has a gift. Everyone has brilliance. Everyone in some way has been given something for the common good, for the gift of those around you. What is that point? Well, I would say it's, it's the, the purpose is to be a blessing to the world, of course. We can't lose that. I've done most of my ministry work in this area. If you know me, you know this. Most of the work I've done over the last 20 years has been in this area, helping people discern their gifts, find their way, and in some cases, even find their way to vocational ministry. But the reality is that I'm not totally sure how it actually works. It sparks, some, it's like my lighter. I have one of those confounding little pieces of metal that it, I just never know if it's gonna actually Flick a little flame. I don't actually know where's the secret sauce in discovering gifts. There's a myth within the church, if you get around people who think about the church too much, there's a myth within the church that if we can just figure out how to get people fully deployed, then the church, then everything solves itself, right? Then everything solves itself. So, so we spend all kinds of money hiring consultants and hiring people and giving them job descriptions and training them and getting them certified so they can help people find themselves, help them find their gifts, Now, we know as a local church that one of our primary jobs is to help you do that, help you find that, help you find your way, help you regain the imagination for how it is that those things that you dream about actually can come to bear on the local community. We don't neglect that. We know that's part of who we are, part of what we do. We also know that it's not about deploying your gifts for the good of this local church. Some of you have been leveraged in your past to build someone else's vision. You've literally been deployed by someone to build the church that they see, and that's not what we're looking at this from a kingdom perspective, so don't get, don't get alarmed. I'm not talking about putting more people to work at ANC. What we do is so stripped down, it doesn't require everyone's attention to get it done. I'm talking about deploying you for the good of, for the, good of the world around you, okay? So we are generally empowered to be witnesses. We are specifically gifted by God, and, and it would be really great if we just stayed there and talked about that for six weeks because there's plenty of material there. But here's the missing piece that I think I'm discovering lately. It's the missing idea around this idea of empowerment. Each of us know instinctively that we're gifted. I don't need to tell you that. You know you're gifted. Gifted for a reason, even. Every one of us wants to know that the particular and the peculiar way we see the world and what we can add to it was given to us by God for the common good. I think that's pretty universal. So if that's the case, why are most of us underdeployed? to reach the worlds around us. If it's the case that we know these gifts come from God, why do most of us struggle to find a way to bring that to bear? Where's the hang-up? Here's the funny thing. I've trained world-class interns at America's largest church how to do this, right? I've written policies for national denomination on this matter. I've designed and implemented the tools that help you discover it. I've done all of this stuff. How, when do you know the turkey popper pops? When is the person ready for ministry? I've built all of these tools, and they, they work. I've got a resume in this area, but what I've learned is this. Something's missing. 
something's missing. I understand your gifting and even how to empower you to contribute. Hear me now. I understand how to figure it out for you and help you see it. What escapes me is me. Okay? What is the scope of my influence? God forbid at a campfire you ask me what is God calling me to do because I can talk about you. But I don't know how to make sense of this for me. Okay? What am I called to? Is it, what does God want from me? Is it local, national, global, just my family? What is the deal? What is the deal? I can see you. I struggle to see me. I've talked all over the country about gift discovery and developing God-given talents, but I finally have my finger on where I'm personally getting hooked getting hung up, and it's this. We keep each other at arm's distance so we don't really refer back and forth to one another in that gift discovery process. We try to do this work of discovery alone is the point, and you'll never get there alone. Let me see if I can explain this. I can see your gifts and talents. I can evaluate your strength and your brilliance. I can even help you design effective strategies for building teams around your blind spots and your weaknesses. I got you. I see you. I just can't see me. The clarity I have for you, I don't have for myself. I've got faint notions. I see shadows moving, but I can't describe what's actually going on deep down inside. As hard as I try to, quote a little old Counting Crows, you know, snap myself up in a butterfly net, slap it down on a photograph album. As much as I try to figure myself out, I happen to elude myself. Those, that's for Christy, because she's a kind of Crows fan. Here's my confession after years of trying to figure out why so few of us break out and fully unfold our gifts. Here's my confession. I see you, but I can't see me. Your eyesight is essential in my own self-discovery. Let me say that again. Your eyesight is essential in my own self-discovery. Which, if you're keeping score, this implies community. And if you know where we're going, this is all a conversation about living in community. Relational proximity one to another. Here's the most succinct way I can say it. I can't empower myself. Empowerment is communal work. It's a communal work. You can't ever get it done alone. So as much as we all know God has gifted us, as much as we all know God has empowered us and put things in us that we daydream about, continuously. They're the things that keep us up at night and wake us up in the morning. They're the things that our mind goes to by default because it's how we're hardwired. As much as we know that, if we keep each other at arm's length distance, we'll never truly be able to discover what God has called us to do. Having a conversation about gifted things really isn't, isn't even innovative. It's not even a contribution. It doesn't change anything. So what stops us? What stops me what holds me back? A couple things. Number one, I'm intimidated. I'm intimidated. Why? The person next to me almost always seems to dwarf what talents I have. I just have this thing about standing next to really bright people. I don't know how I find them. I don't know why they let me stand next to them, but I'm always standing next to somebody who's just amazingly gifted. So I stay inside, and I never bring those gifts to bear. I know this only happens to me, so you can, you can check your Facebook right now. Get ready to say goodbye to Facebook because Lent is coming. It's actually a joke. It's actually not a joke. I remain silent and inactive, guarded alone because they are so much more gifted. And you just fill in the they. Why do I not bring myself to bear? Why do I not fully unfold? It's pretty simple because I'm intimidated because next to the person next to me, wow, my stuff doesn't shine. Second reason, fear. I'm afraid. The default human position. Why does the angel always say, be not afraid? 
because we're always afraid. Yeah. So I'm afraid I stay inside myself because I've learned the hard way that not everyone can handle the full unfiltered me. Now hear me, church. Not everyone can handle the full unfolding. Many of us grow up in families where we can't even unfold in our families. Why? They can't handle it. It breaks the family system. So what do we learn to do? We fold it all up. We tuck it all away. and We keep it nice and, and stowed away. It's fear, fear of unfolding. And what does that mean for those who I'm doing a relationship with? In the past, maybe we've taken that risk and then those people bolt. And then, so why would I do this again? You know what I'm talking about. Some of your friends have left this church in the last year and you're standing here, maybe the last person from your friend group. You know what I'm talking about. Why do we not fully unfold and bring what God has put inside us to bear in the community? Because we're afraid that, what's the point? They're just gonna leave. This has happened to me before. We're afraid, it's fear. I've done a lot of things, different things in ministry. I've led worship. I've traveled and done deals. I've been a youth pastor. Oh, my God, I don't know how I did that. I remember one of the greatest days of my life was when God finally says, you know what, this isn't your gig. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I don't have to deal with the, that drop. You're off the hook. Whoa, adults? <laughs> yeah. Then you realize we're all just grown-up teenagers. We're all teenagers who can drive. That's about it, right? But I've done a lot of things, but here's what I've learned, and I'm gonna get personal here, and I've kind of moved quickly to get to this point, so I wanna tell a story. Here's what I've learned. I'm hardwired to be a local pastor. Local pastor. I'm not awesome at it. I'm getting better. I work hard at it, but this is what I'm hardwired to do. I'm not hardwired to be a national presence or a national voice. I'm a local guy, a local shepherd. And who taught me that? Who taught me that? You taught me that. Because if you're a young person in the church and you can speak and you can sing and you can do stuff, everybody wants to whisper into your ear that you're gonna be this, you're gonna change the world. I hate those words. I never say them to my children because that is an unbearable load to walk with in your teenage years. You internalize this sense that, oh my gosh, I'm gonna change it. Everyone's gonna know my name. Guess what? I learned from you that my gift is here. Where did I learn this? Half dozen different scenarios, my favorite was day two of a long trek to the Andes. Took some guys, Elliot's here, John's here. Who's else? Who, who else is here that was with me? We had 22 guys from all over the country hike the Inca Trail from Cusco to Machu Picchu. Day two, brutal day. Brutal day. It starts with a gentle ascent that goes to a monumental uphill summit of 14,000 feet. They call the pass Dead Woman's Pass. You come up that thing so hot and then the icy 40 degree wind hits you from the other side and you gotta strip down to nothing and get dry clothes on because if you don't, you're toast within an hour, right? A couple of the guys didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't listen to the instructions. When you go from 90 degrees and overheated to 30 degree wind and you'd have an, another two and a half hour descent down to a little encampment where glacial melt is your water and it's 20 degrees by six o'clock, you don't mess around. It's an intense, intense day. And I don't, maybe it wasn't day two, maybe it was day three. Honestly, it was all this magnificent blur. But there was this one night, let me tell you about the people, maybe we edit this, Trey. Let me, because I'm just gonna talk to the house today. I, mean, I don't care who hears this. I had a bunch of different kinds of people on this trip with me. I organized it, I'm the only one who knew everyone. 10 guys from ANC, 12 guys from around the country. Some of these guys were important, influential, denominational people in my world. At that time, I was still directing the apparatus for credentialing for the Free Methodist Church. Doesn't matter, big thing. I had very key leaders, kids with me. I had key leaders who wanted something from me on this trip. They wanted to know what's the, what are the leadership points about this? What's the spiritual thing about that? And did you know what? I discovered one night, 
in a tent with about nine of us or ten of us stuffed in this tent. We all smelled like shrimp scampi because nobody showered except for Bo and I because nobody else would get in the glacial melt. But in that tent, after watching this interesting thing happen before my eyes, people were pulling me to do this thing, this great leadership thing, and all I really wanted to do was hive off and play cards with my boys, just, just chill with the guys. I remember that night not being able to sleep because in my heart I decided to pastor ANC. I want to be here. What matters to me is these guys. I want to talk about what's going on in your life. I don't care if we touch the, the great spiritual principles of all of this. Frankly, after hiking for five days in the Andes, what could you add to that that's any more spiritual than that? And the whole question confounded me, and I released something in my heart that day in August and said, that's it. This is all I want. I had to learn what God has called me to do by listening to people around me. That's my point. We will never come up with the trail on our own. We almost always stretch it to bigger proportions than God has gifted it to be. And so we're tormented with the gap between what I thought I'd be doing in my 40s and what I'm actually doing. And so we redefine, we recover, we pull those definitions back and we sit in our lives and we say, I am content because this is what God has given me. And I will redefine contentment until my heart will go pitter-pat for what I already have. That's the journey of the fourth decade. That's the breakthrough. That's the moment I decided this is really the truth about me is I've done all that stuff and it didn't move me. This moves me. My list of objectives for the average day is faces. It's not to-do lists. It's not points. It's not accomplish this, write this policy, think this through, read this deal, write that deal. It's people. And that's what I'm hardwired actually to do. Good news is it only took me four decades to figure it out. I rely on you to properly see me. And the same is true for you. You rely on those around you to properly assess and properly presence who you are and why you're here. I'm a leader, but only if being a leader means I'm also given permission to be a follower. And the truth is, is I've learned more things from you than you even, even imagine. In most spaces that we move around in as pastors of ANC, it's not even as if anyone is the leader. We're a group of peers finding Jesus, trying to be on mission, trying to move ourselves in a direction, right? You empower me, and I empower you, and that's the gospel of community. This is why God doesn't save the world with a one big revival service. No, he says, get together, stay together, and learn to like each other. And that's the great hope of the world? Absolutely. Why? Because we don't see ourselves. I can see you, but I need you to see me. I hope that's making sense. It comes down to two things, really. Language and proximity. And let me tell you what I mean by that. We have to learn to speak to each other in a particular kind of way. You know, Jesus in the book of John is pressed multiple times. Where do you get this stuff, the crowd says. How do you say these things? How are you healing people? You know what Jesus says almost every time? He says, all I do is do and say what I hear the Father doing and saying. That's it. I'm just repeating. I'm repeating what the Father's doing and saying. That's all I'm doing. What's the secret? We have to speak to each other the way God speaks to us. Now think about that for a second. What does that leave out? You're going there, don't you? Listen. God doesn't speak to me with guilt and shame and judgment and condemnation, and so I don't get to speak to you that way. Do you hear me? If we're going to speak, I'm sorry, that sounded really shrill. Do you hear me? (laughs) That sounds like parenting. Sorry. 
this matters to me so profoundly because this week it's just been boiling in my heart. Here's the catch. I don't get to speak to you in those ways because God doesn't speak to you in those ways. You want to build community? Say the words God says about the people around you. What are those words? You are loved. You are fiercely loved by God. And he will not stop with any excuse or obstacle. He will have you back. He will wear your defenses down. He will get you back because that's how God loves you. If we spoke to each other that way, what would change about the way we do community? We'd love to drop the Jesus jukes and oh man, all things work together and you know what Philippians 3 says and, and all this. And guess what? God, does God speak to you that way? When you're on your face on the arena floor and you're eating dust and everyone is mocking and jeering, how does God speak to you? Oh, if we could speak to each other that way. If we're gonna empower ourselves, if we're gonna be the community that we see, an empowered community where everyone is shouldering the load they've been designed by God to shoulder, then we're gonna have to learn to talk to each other differently. And it's gonna have to leave out a bunch of things we love to say. We love to bring condemnation. We love to act like we're right. We love to tell everybody that the world is the way we see it. We make normative assumptions of our own private inner loops and we love to do that. And guess what? You build communities that look exactly like you because no one else can stand in the heat because no one will be condemned and and spoken that way to for very long. They're gonna back out because deep in their heart they know that God does not speak to them that way. It's about language and it's about proximity and here's the bad news. If we're gonna be empowered and empower each other, we have to speak to each other the way God does, but we've got to stay near each other. We've got to stay near each other. We've gotta keep each other close. Why? Because if I'm speaking what God says over you to you, if you can't hear me because we're too far apart, what's the difference? No one's empowered. It's about language, the language of God and proximity, the nearness of brotherhood and sisterhood and community. And boy, have we been tested on that in the last few months. So here's my conclusion. What are you going through? How dark is the darkness you're fighting? How dark is it? Who knows about it? Who knows all the details? Who knows the desperation? Not the silver lining, Not when you wake up and you wipe off the puke and you feel all better. Who knows about it in the night watches? Who knows your darkness? Who knows what you're fighting? Who knows how deep the loneliness goes? And I don't just mean your spouse. Who else knows? What are you afraid of? Who's speaking words of life over you? Who's speaking the words of God over you? Because you need flesh and blood to say those things and God has put people around you to say them. But if they're not near enough, if you've not taken the risk to empty yourself and to open up, you can't hear them. It's only you and your loops. It's only you in that inside battle. Who have you let in? What's the end game if you don't? What's the end result if you don't? You know, it's a myth that says I'm safe if I'm alone. No, 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 you're actually not safe. It's a myth that says I- I'm just gonna take this on by myself. I, I-, I can't trust him. That's a myth. Don't buy that myth. Don't buy that. Empowerment requires something different to step into community and be part of that. What do we see? We see an empowered community, a totally deployed church where every gift that God has buried within every one of us becomes the shape of what we do and the voice that we have in this city. We can't do this alone as a staff. We're trying to figure out how to build a church that empowers everyone. But it's gonna take all of us to get this done. I hope these vision statements inspire you. Take a deep breath because you're turning blue. Sorry. Everybody turns blue and I yell at them. It's not true. I'm just excited. Why don't you stand to your feet?